It's time for Knox Talk, a behind-the-scenes look at the business side of college sports. Featuring Paul Sickman from Knox Sports and Brandon Parks from the Vol Network. Now for today's show. Hello, hello. Welcome to another edition of Knox Talk. Today is Wednesday, October the 18th, and I am always joined by my great friend Brandon Parks from the University of Tennessee. Good afternoon, buddy. Hey, Paul. Good afternoon. Um, my, how the calendar flies. Can you believe it's mid-October? I, I got to tell you, it, it is what's awesome is that for the first time all year, it is actually October in Florida because it is 69 degrees and sunny today. I said it again, 69. We have our first day of even remote fall. It's unbelievable here in Tampa. So that means no humidity, right? It, it Yes. Today it is, I mean, it is a normal, like almost Knoxville type day. We are, I don't know what's going on. We are, we have every window in my office open right now. Spectacular. Well, mid-October also brings this huge reminder and sort of a last minute um, alert that basketball season is just around the corner. And and with the balls on the road this week, we're starting, we're shifting gears and we're looking at a lot of deadlines and uh, basketball things uh, before tip-off gets here in a couple of weeks. Okay, well, I'll stop talking about all these sweaters and the jackets that are here in God's waiting room, and we'll move on to the rest of our podcast. So we are joined today by Mr. Mike Poplowski uh, of the University of Richmond, where he is the GM. Mike is a Richmond grad who toiled in minor league baseball and in ticket sales with the Washington Commanders before coming home in 2016. Mike came back to Richmond, um, and they were Learfield property. And, and then in, in 2021, Playfly bought out the rights and made him the GM. So he is survived a transition, which makes him kind of a unicorn in our business, because uh, that is not the norm, and it's certainly worthy of the Knox Talk stage. So welcome, Mr. Poplowski. Thank you, Paul, and uh, great to see you, Brandon. Uh, definitely some connections we were catching up on before uh, we hit go here, but I appreciate y'all having me and uh, definitely looking forward to talking shop a little bit. Uh, I appreciate you having me. No trouble. So, Mike, tell us about just that transition, first of all, just the, the just the raw transition. I know that you contacted me because of, uh, of what happened, so talk about that a little bit without upsetting the apple cart. Yeah, of course. No, it was definitely a time of change in the landscape. It was over COVID time when there was working from home and uncertainty of, are we going to have live sports again? Are we going to have fans in the stands? And then we get a curveball thrown our way that the rights were changing here at Richmond. And I'll actually slightly correct you. I got hired by MG College, so I've gone through two transitions. <laughs> the, merge, the merge with Learfield and then right. uh, um, the winning of the rights by Playfly. So uh, we joked earlier, getting the right email address for me. This is probably my third email address. I, I've been doing basically the same role here for now my eighth season, but just a, a, the only constant has been change in my time here at Richmond. So it was definitely a time of uncertainty when we weren't sure what was going to happen on the field and on the court and in the world with, with the virus and everything. But then we get this dropped on our plate that the rights were changing hands. And I'll tell you, I, I had no interest in leaving the university. My, my roots are planted here. I, I have uh, my wife with me here. We had a four-year-old golden retriever at the time we now have a one-year-old daughter so we're kind of planning our roots here in Richmond and to be honest it didn't matter to me who had the rights here I wanted to be at the university and uh, I think my consistency and my allegiance to the university kind of goes back to when I was a student athlete as you mentioned 
Uh, I had four head coaching changes in my four years here. I, I changed positions three times. And through all that, it wasn't easy to transfer back then in uh, 09 to 12 when I was playing, but I wanted to get my degree from here. I wanted to stay with my friends. It didn't matter who the coach was. I wanted to stay here. So kind of transitioned to fast forward to my professional career here. Didn't matter who was paying my paycheck or who was my regional vice president. It mattered about the school. So um, a lot of change then, but I wanted to be that constant presence here, uh, kind of moving forward with the the changing of the guard, so to say. So you came in and you're, and I'm going to, I'm going to force feed you a question because I know it happened between us. You came in and all of a sudden your computer was gone, like pretty much gone. Everything on there was gone. You had no information and you had to start from scratch because that's what happens when MMRs turn over. So you reached out to us and said, Hey, the contract that we have with you, would you mind sharing? And I'm like, no problem. But that wasn't the case with everybody. No, it wasn't. And that was what made our job uh, difficult. And I hats off to folks that come into a quote unquote startup property or somebody that it's established, but the rights change and they're a fresh face to that school or, or that market. When you're picking up all those pieces, it's a tall task. And I can't thank you all enough and a handful of our other partners that knew me and maybe I wasn't their day-to-day -day contact as the account executive at the time, but familiar face and alum, I just, hey, you're still working with Richmond. We're just kind of changing some paperwork here. So some were great to kind of keep things rolling, so to say, just repaper their contract. But some saw it as a chance to to shuffle the deck and, and kind of pull out if, if it's not really what they were looking to continue with. Um, but yeah, that made things hard. I mean, thankfully, I had my same cell phone carryover contacts, but a lot of emails. I mean, I'm I'm kind of a pack rat from a proof of performance standpoint and a, hey, what have we done over the past? And a lot of that stuff was pulled out from underneath me and made it really hard where uh, who suffered were our longtime clients and, and some folks, uh, our campus partners as well, where that was stuff that, that we had. It was on a, a company laptop and a company drive, not a, a university one. So um, thankfully, some of that stuff was able to be recouped. But um, as it's been said by my current VP, kind of knowing where the bodies were buried in a good way, kind of knowing who to talk to and where to go on campus and what relationships were in place and not starting from scratch, I think really gave me a leg up. So I'm super thankful for that. But folks that come in totally fresh and have to pick up all those pieces and don't have great partners like Knox Sports, Virginia 529 to pass along those contracts makes it even harder. Hey, Mike, let me ask you this. Obviously, these things take time and it's usually a process. Um, and in most instances, the multimedia rights holder will have a long-term agreement, whether it be a 5, 10, 12-year agreement. Um, specifically in your all situation, was this, was this a situation where your contract was, was set to expire with the school and they decided to test the market to see what was out there? And, and where I'm going with it is, can you talk a little bit about what that process looks like? And then the period of time where you're somewhat in limbo, where you don't know if your current employer is going to retain the contract or it could potentially change. And what is that like for a staff to have to live through that process? Yeah, great question. So kind of going back to the time that this all happened, uh, we had a, a regional summit here uh, with Learfield and we had a great presence here in the state where Virginia Tech, JMU, Richmond, George Mason, um, I'm trying to think who else, VCU is here in town. We all met at, at Robin Stadium um, out at the football field and we had this great brainstorm. How do we attack the region, the Commonwealth together? And as we're leaving, I remember walking out with my former uh, GM and former VP 
basically patting each other on the back. Hey, this deal's all but signed. We're going to be extended. We're going to be all happy, one happy family moving forward another five, 10 years. I'm, I'm not quite, quite sure what the term was because I was not the GM at the time, but things went sideways from there. That was the last kind of thumbs up, good pat on the back we, we heard. And then I, I think that was the time when a lot of the payment of rights fees and whatnot was kind of up in the air from, um, that was probably the last in-person event that was held because then when we turned over um, fans weren't allowed in the stands and, and things like that. So it was, it was really that uh, 2020 spring when our, our basketball team was positioned very well to go into March madness, hopefully, but then it was, Hey, no fans, no events, no nothing. So going into that next year, when the renewal was all but signed, I think there was some uncertainty from the lack of live events, the lack of fans, as you guys know, it's very hard to, put a value to a partnership when you don't know who's going to see it and your uh, non-TV visible assets, you have to transition to TV visible and all of that. So I'm not quite sure what all exactly happened behind the scenes. I just know some of the financials got a little sideways and that kind of opened the door for Playfly to come in and, and make a competitive offer. And uh, what's unique about us is you mentioned how I'm unique being one of the few kind of holdovers, um, to my knowledge, we were the first acquired property that was uh, a, a successful winning bid. It wasn't acquiring a collection of schools from Outfront Media or CBS Sports Interactive. It was, hey, Richmond's up for bid. Let's go bid and win that one because it's in our backyard um, when they were having a, a much stronger presence out in the Charlottesville area um, with UVA and, and some office space out there. So definitely unique to be kind of the first one on that regard. But um, that's about the extent that I can recall from, from that time. So once it's announced that this transition is going to occur and you're going to go to Playfly, how much time did you have to essentially wind down and wind out the Learfield contract before you transitioned to Playfly? Yeah, great question, too. I'll tell you, that was one of the more awkward times of my tenure at, at Learfield because I, I spoke with the VP at the time and, and my former GM. And they pretty much asked, do you want to stick with the company or stick with the school? And I said, I'd like a chance to stick with the school and, and talk with the, the incoming rights holder. So thankfully, was able to have good conversations, have the opportunity put in front of me. And, and there was an offer made. But then I, I, I kind of go back to Learfield and said, well, what do I do here? Like, I, I want to move on. But when and how does that all work? And once I kind of learned that I had to put my two weeks in, it wasn't two weeks. It was about two hours. And they said, you're done. And I was. I was on a Zoom call and I could tell I was being like logged out of things, being kind of transitioned out and locked out of the system, which was didn't feel good <laughs> because um, there wasn't a whole lot of like gathering acorns and stashing them at that point. It was OK, you're, you're done. Well, you're done. And, and there was a little bit of a um, two GMs at the time where my former GM was with Learfield and I was with Playfly and we had the same title basically at the same school. But she was winding down. I was I was ramping up. So. Definitely a little bit of a, an awkward time there. And I know there was some direction from Learfield of, hey, send your um, communication to partners, current partners. Hey, we're on our way out. Your contract is null and void. And, and obviously, I didn't want that to be the message. I wanted it to be, hey, it's transition. Talk to this new guy or, or the, the familiar face that you know. He's now in charge. Talk to him. And, and at the end of the day, you want to work with Richmond. It doesn't matter who holds the rights. So um, that was all a, a tumultuous time. And I, I would say my relationship with the former GM was strained a, a little bit. We've come out on uh, uh, rainbows and butterflies on the other side. But at that time, it was awkward because I left 
but I'm still in the building here and and she's stuck with the old company. So it was uh, definitely awkward, but uh, hopefully something I don't have to go through again. Mike, it's it's sort of the unfortunate part of our business and, and part that probably doesn't get talked about a lot, but these contracts do change hands. And I, I think part of what makes this conversation compelling is you get to hear it from a property's perspective. And oftentimes when you read about in the sports business journal that one school has left a multimedia rights holder and gone to another one, um, you read it, you get the headlines, you understand what's happening, but the impact on the lives of the individuals that are at the property is the story that you don't often hear about. And some of the intricacies and, and how difficult and strained it can be from a relationship standpoint. And part of what I think makes all of us so unique is, is typically we work at schools because there is some affinity and our ability to capture that affinity and passion and then be able to go to market and sell it to guys like Paul and the corporate partners, that's almost the secret sauce of what we do. And uh, while there is this, this business side of things, uh, there is this local impact on the property itself. And, and, you know, often you don't ever hear those kinds of stories from it. So it can be a difficult transition, but it certainly sounds like you have come out on the other side uh, in a good place, which that's fantastic for you. And you. Brandon, you couldn't have said it any better. The thing that I think is so amazing about Mike's story is, yes, you just said it. He came out of the other side. But the whole pull the plug thing, which is, by the way, not unique to Learfield. Playfly right. would do the same thing if they were going away. And so would any other. And that is, it is a, it is a ugly situation for people who have just sweat, blood, tears for a property, believed, bled, did everything. And then all of a sudden, Hey, this is what's happening. I mean, it can even be leaving the job. Don't have to be a transition. Hey, I am leaving this company and I'm going to do X and bam, thanks a lot. Got to go. I mean, they pull the plug on everything you have and treat. And sometimes it's just completely unreasonable. Um, the way that they, that, that, that these big companies will treat these these actual people who are sitting down there on the ground level, um, just moving on with their lives. So it's terrible. Mike, Mike, I wanted to ask about, you know, on the sticking with the Playfly and Learfield thing, you now have obviously a unique perspective, but with Virginia doing what Virginia is doing, having all these schools that are, have transitioned over, uh, but talk about a little bit about maybe what are the differences you are able to have seen in terms of maybe the corporate sales philosophy from Playfly and Learfield and I'm, I'm talking specifically about maybe how they treat national sales and how they basically interact with you as the, your uh, supervisors treat you from a sales perspective at both companies. Sure. Yeah. So so that's one thing that I think both rights holders are trying to get right is the national sales puzzle, so to say. And I think Learfield has the advantage from having so many properties where Playfly is still growing and doesn't have the reach coast to coast and everywhere in between. I think one thing that is a benefit to the approach Playfly has taken is is more of a regional approach where it is multi-property national is kind of their um, title, so to say, but it makes more sense to find a brand and, and go after a regional pocket. So one uh, company, for example, um, what was being approached by uh, UVA for, for a pretty premier um, piece of inventory and, and it wasn't quite right, but they're opening a store here in Richmond and it was perfect for, for us to work with. So we actually, they're our newest partner. We signed them last week. So that approach where 
hey, um, the ACC school in the state doesn't quite fit the bill at the moment. It's maybe out of your budget, but talk to Richmond. They can fill that need, I think, is an interesting approach where uh, it wasn't just abandoned. We still got some business from this this new client. So, um, like I said, it's something they're still trying to get right. And there was some turnover in the national sales team um, within Playfly. And I'm, I'm not sure what the, the status is of Learfield now, but one thing that I always almost kind of rolled my eyes at is we weren't quite big enough to, to be in the national sales perspective or in the conversation, I should say, where you'd see these Nissans and these Jimmy Johns and, and Geico and Allstate. And that was always the power fives that got the preference. And I remember when I started with IMG, there was a small group of schools. Uh, we were known as revenue solutions because it wasn't a region. It was just, it was from Princeton to Richmond, to Elon and kind of up and down the coast. But we always kind of felt like we were forgotten. And it kind of makes sense that um, you want to go after the, the big brands from a national sales national sales perspective. But um, we'd always get these inquiries. Hey, what, what inventory is available? What's the rate? What's the this? What's that? Like fire drill. And then we never hear anything. We were never put in to the contract. And we're like, we've got some good stuff here as well. We've got a great fan base. But um, I think that's kind of where the, the market's missed time over time with national sales. It's not a position I think I'd like to be in. I mean, there's there's a ton of opportunity there, but it's a, it's a hard sell. So not saying anybody's doing it, it right or wrong. I think it's a very tough nut to crack, but um, that's where I think it's, it's fallen short over the past was um, being at a mid-major school like we are, we kind of felt like we got forgotten. And um, my former GM always said, when the national sales guys come knocking, get them what they need right away because you never know when you're going to get the check and you're going to be in that deal. So that's always been my mentality. It hasn't always been fruitful, but we usually try to get them what they need when, when they come knocking. Yeah. And we, um, I, I will tell you as an industry, as a college sports industry, I think we're always trying to evolve and figure out what that national sales platform looks like. And when you think about who we're ultimately competing against, it's a lot of the professional leagues specifically, you look at the NFL and you look at Major League Baseball and they have a limited number of properties, um, teams that compete there. And they all seem to effectively do a really nice job from a national sales standpoint. Um, and then you you cross over into the college space. One, it's a complicated space because every school is unique and different. And then two, to your point, Mike, look at the number of teams and brands that you could potentially tap into from a marketing standpoint. Okay. How, how do we serve all of those schools and properties? How do we see revenue flowing to all of those? And it, to me, has just been a very complex situation and, and challenge for us as an industry on how we tackle and take advantage of national sales. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be ever solved because I, don't, I personally believe that uh, until, until we have the power to, um, which is coming probably, until we get there, it's just it's just too different. College, I, the beauty of college sports that all of us believe in is what makes it different is because each school is different and they're all regional. They are really regional. And we might have a sport or two sports that are national, but most of our sports are regional. And that's what we want to sell. And that's why we sell it. I want to ask a different kind of question, um, Mike. So I know that Learfield, when they evaluate an individual sponsor contract, they have a certain amount of hard costs that they will allow without a buzzer going off. And they'll say, oh, your percentage of hard costs is too high in this deal. And they'll go back to a guy like Brandon and say, hey, you need to you need to drop your hard costs in here. And he has a choice. You know, he has the power to be able to say, no, I want to do it or I don't. But most schools will just, you know, kind of acquiesce to that. So Learfield has 
a percentage that they feel like is the right percentage of hard costs within a deal. I don't know the answer for Playfly. Have you seen any difference in the way that those two um, entities, those two MMRs react to hard costs in a deal? Is Playfly maybe more of a, hey, if it's new revenue, let's go? Uh, that's a good question. I, I'll say that I think I was conditioned over the years to be frugal in a deal, uh, keep expenses low and and money coming in high as Brandon's smiling and laughing. Um, I think that was kind of the IMG way where you keep your expenses low and, and get the most out of the deal, but um, spend on the hard costs when, when you need to. And I couldn't even tell you, I mean, there's kind of in my mind, if I see it, we're not going to be going 50-50. We're not going to go 50% of a, veal, of a deal be out the door for a hard cost. But um, I don't even have a great answer for you on that one. That There's not a steadfast rule, but I know if there's a lot going out the door to get that money in the door, I'm, I'm going to get spoken to about it. So um, I couldn't even tell you a percentage. There has not been a guideline passed down. Um, one thing I do know is um, our CRM system core is a much newer product to Playfly. It's a younger company. And my first year, we didn't have it. And that was one thing that opened my eyes when coming from this well-oiled machine that had core and had um, an AR department that was sending out the invoices. It was all on me. And they're like, well, how are you going to keep track of all this? I'm like, I, I guess I got to get into Excel and build a big spreadsheet here. So um, <laughs> managing all that was, was a whole big, uh, thing I didn't anticipate when not only am I now running the property, there's all of these tools I was used to having that I didn't have. And thankfully they have invested and we're at the point now where we're, we've caught up. We, we use core uh, to keep track of our inventory and our billing and all of that. But I don't think they've turned on that, uh, that trip, so to say of, oh, okay, your deal is too heavy on the hard costs. We're going to, we're going to kick it back to you. That hasn't really been enacted yet. All right. Paul, let me interject one thing there. And I think it's important that we acknowledge this in the college space. But when when you look at the business model that we're working under, the majority of the revenue, either through a guaranteed rights fee or through a revenue share, is being is being deposited to the to the athletics departments that we represent. So unlike a professional organization where you have an ownership group and you're an internal in-house entity that is selling gross sponsorship dollars here in our situations, we're really feeding two different groups. We're feeding the corporate office, whether it be Playfly or Learfield, but then we're also feeding our athletics department as well. And so I would tell you, that's probably why we're, we're as particular as we are around expenses that go against deals. Mm -hmm. No, I understand it. I just thought, I was wondering just what the difference was. And I think it's, it's interesting that, that that little gap that Mike just described is probably so I really blew it. So last year I should have been just hammering Playfly for a whole really big bunch of expense heavy deals. And apparently all I, the season tickets you want. Yeah. My, my window just closed apparently now that they are, uh, now that they're in core. Uh, what about uh, some other differences? I think it's just fascinating. Like what about uh, sponsor gifts, away trips, kind of service industry? Have you noticed anything different in the done in the corporate approach from Playfly on Learfield? Um, like I said, kind of go going back to the point of being a younger company, um, they, they have been fortunate to get a lot of industry leaders that came from the competitor and came from pro teams and whatnot. So there hasn't been a, um, a list of guidelines, so to say, it's kind of like what, what, what worked for you in the past. So one thing that worked for us in the past was taking care of our partners from the partner gift standpoint and Richmond's unique to the fact where we're very different from a Tennessee where Brandon sits 
that a majority of our partners aren't these diehard fans that are going to live and die by the, the final score. And they're not going to um, sign their life away to get on the trip to go to Alabama or go to a, a, an away basketball game. They're looking to make that local impact and kind of align with our prestigious university. So uh, an away trip, a partner trip is nothing is something we've never done, um, which is is unique because our crosstown rival VCU, to my knowledge, does one every year. It's just not something that our partners have really called for. Um, we're looking into taking a few partners on an away basketball trip this year. Some of our our big ones that uh, we really need to keep in the um, keep, keep on our lineup, so to say. But um, that's not something we've done in the past. But um, definitely taking care of our folks from a, a client gift standpoint is very important. And um, kind of calling back to the transition in the young company. Um, some of the resources weren't quite in place from a creative services and, and all of that. But as we've grown, it's it's really been impressive of all the other um, tools that we have at our disposal. And one thing I didn't really touch on going back to the national sales piece, which, which really sets us apart from Learfield is all of the non-collegiate MMR business lines that we have. Um, the home team sports division that we have within Playfly that handles all the regional sports networks is a heck of a machine that kind of leaning on them to open doors for us is, is pretty neat. So they have their creative team behind them as well. So it seems like every week there's a new division we're adding to play fly and we're growing and it's not just another school that we're winning the rights at it's these other business lines where it's naming rights for Jersey patches for a pro team and the uh, RSNs and whatnot. So it is, it is kind of unique on that right where, Brandon, back to the IMG days, it was not just IMG Sports. There was IMG Models and Garth Brooks and The Rock and all those other ones. It, that side is kind of being painted a little bit now, too, where it is still all sports, but it's not just collegiate. So, so that's one difference, too, I'd like to point out um, that that's been kind of cool to track along the way. The other thing that's unique about your property, Mike, and I'm going to leave the Playfly Learfield discussion for a second, is that you're right. Richmond is unique in that you don't, you, you are in the state of Virginia, you're one of only a couple schools that has all the sports and that's your side, right? A lot of the schools in Virginia are basketball only schools that that uh, that are uh, your deal. Um, the other thing that's unique is um, you guys are in a, like you said, you're in a major metro. You are a small school in a city with a ridiculous amount of Fortune 500 companies that are in it. And your alumni are not holding you, like you said, your feet to the fire in terms of wins and losses because they have all these sports to kind of hang out to. So you have had, you do have a nice advantage there in that city uh, because most small schools don't have all those advantages. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the market that we're in, um, I'm thankful to not be um, in a pro market, so to say, where we do have the Richmond Flying Squirrels, double A baseball, and we do have Atlantic 10 competition right down the street who has a pretty healthy billing each year with their partnerships, but a much larger enrollment and whatnot. But um, I think what we, what we miss in, in overall attendance and, and size of enrollment, we definitely make up for in quality of alumni and definitely uh, where they're going to work after the fact. I mean, what's really cool is one of our, our larger partners is based here at fortune 500 CarMax is right in our backyard and their CEO has had two or three daughters play field hockey at Richmond and that helped that connection. He's not an alum, but his daughter's playing here, opened that door for us. And we're still trying to crack the code on the capital ones of the world, but there are still some Fortune 500s that we do work with and kind of some unconventional partners that you wouldn't really think make a lot of sense, but they're looking beyond the spots and dots. They're looking to recruit our student athletes and use our campus. Our campus was voted number one most beautiful campus by Princeton Review, and we love showing it off. So 
come on, have your board meeting here, have your seminar here. Got to be a partner, but you, you can do that. So it's kind of neat that we can build those other elements into a deal and take advantage of where we are here in Richmond. So Brandon and I have talked about issues that we have kind of in the modern selling situation where sales and service are separated. Uh, but you're in a smaller school, Mike, and I know for a period of time, especially during the transition, you were sales, service, secretary, all the things forever. Um, talk about that just from a small school perspective. I know you now have some help, um, but it is different for you in a smaller in a smaller school than, than at a major machine like Brandon, who's got 30 people at his beck and call at any moment of the day. Well, it's so, not exaggerate. Okay. But I will say Brandon and I have talked for years about how we abhor the pro model of a seller and a service person and never the twain shall meet. Brandon is one of the best in the country at making sure that he is part of the service team as well as part of the sales team. And that is your course of business as well, Mike, at, at a small school by by habit and by sheer circumstance, right? So talk about the advantage of that in your in your situation. Yeah, of course. I think the fact of how I was kind of brought along from the beginning of handling the entire process of prospecting, selling, servicing, proof of performance, rinse and repeat the whole process um, and then being involved with not only my clients, but just the clients within the whole property here made that transition even easier when it was, hey, um, I wasn't your account rep last year, but now I am and I'm leading the property and, and you, you've you seen me, you know me, I know the, the product very well. It kind of helped with that level of comfort when it came to that transition um, to, to keep a lot of those partners through the, the Learfield to play fly transition. But then also to your point, I think it calls back to my start in sports working in minor league baseball. It's like an all hands on deck mentality. So here right. at Richmond, I'm doing everything from meeting with the athletic director to setting up tables and putting tablecloths on and doing everything in between where we're a small but mighty staff, uh, myself and a full-time account executive. And then we have a property assistant who's an undergraduate here at Richmond. And we've never been bigger than that. I, I've been kind of banging on the table to add another full-time. The table uh, you just set up. What's that? The table you just set up. <laughs> right. I'm banging on that table. Not too hard so I don't break it. But um, asking for help because there's so many things where I, I'm told you need to be going out and finding these whales, these big clients, signing the next big six-figure deal. But I'm bogged down by these other duties where I don't want to put it off on somebody else when their plate is already overflowing. So it, I do like it. I like being involved from start to finish. There are some things, some duties I'd like to shed and have been able to shed based on having a strong team with me here. But it's one thing that definitely makes you appreciate the what you have and um, definitely from start to finish uh, being involved the entire process is something that I've enjoyed. I mean, yes, there are things I wish I didn't have to, to worry about, but it, it's all part of the process. It's all I've really known. Yeah, I get it. Well, Mike, we really much, very much appreciate you. Um, I, I know this was uh, a unique uh, episode for us, being able to talk to someone that's been on both sides of this equation. Uh, and you're right, I was remiss in not remembering ING because so even Brandon has gone through a couple uh, MMR shifts, if not changes. So, uh, But we appreciate what you went through. And I think the big message that, that I got when I first talked to you about this, and I think every one of our listeners got now have, is what a people situation it is and how sometimes we can't forget that. Because when someone leaves a company um, and leaves a multimedia rights holder, or they make a change, there are still people there. And so if you know somebody that's in that situation, reach out. If you're a client or if you're a peer, reach out and talk to them because they're going through it. Uh, and they need other people to kind of feel it with them. 
Uh, and I, I try to always do that. I'm probably not the best, but I do try because I have so many people around the country that go through what you went through and maybe not as good, certainly not as uh, successfully as you went through it. But thank you, Mike, for, for, for being with us. And thank you for all the listeners here at Knox Talk. Uh, Brandon and I uh, only have a few more sessions in this season uh, before we will hit, I think is it season five coming up, Brandon? Can you believe it? Season five. Season five. So we will hit you guys up in two weeks. Uh, buddy, go win a couple more games, including one against those uh, those Crimson Tide Devils um, in the next week or two. And then when we get the next together, you'll be seven and two. How's that? Well, and best of luck to the Florida State Seminoles as well. Well, we'll do, we'll do what we can. We're just stumbling along. All right, kids. We'll see you all soon. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Great chatting. Hey.